You can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am the college teaching director for our Anderson campus. Uh, I'm so excited to be back here at Southwood. I did, was in youth ministry here for a few years, and you know, as uh, Ryan was saying earlier, our students are gone, right? Our, our volunteers are gone. Uh, the people that want to listen to me talk are gone, and so they kind of move me from different stages to different stages over the course of the summer. Uh, I think I might actually be coming back here at some point. I hope so, because I love, I love being here. I love being with you guys, uh, and I'm excited to share with you just this little treat that I discovered this week. What happened to that guy? Oh, he got electrocuted. What's electrocuted? Electrocuted. It it means getting like a lot of electricity rushing through your body all at the same time. It's it's really bad. So is that what happened to this guy? Uh, Yeah, I think so. He, he was playing with something that he shouldn't have been playing with, and he got electrocuted. Well, what was he playing with? Was he playing with scissors? No, no, no. He was, he was playing with this. We shouldn't play with this. Um, right, right. Well, what happened to his face? Uh, he's hurt. It, it, it hurts to get electrocuted, like, a lot. Oh. Right. I get it. I get it. So he, so he just touched this thing, and then, did he die? No, no, it, it, it's not this part. It, it's what's inside. So did he die inside of there? No, he, he, he's not real. He's just a picture. Right, but how did he die? He didn't die. Mmm, because pictures can't get electrocuted, right? Right. Right, it's just a warning sign. Tells us to be careful around here because it's really dangerous. I know, maybe if I just turn into a picture, I could go in there. No, no, don't go in there. Never go in here. Never do, just... Just leave this whole thing alone. Just leave it. So how did he get inside of there? No. Yeah, well, I don't even know. Look, there's a squirrel over there. Let's go chase it. Where? Yeah, over there. Come on, come on. I don't see it. You know, that uh, we've all found ourselves in that moment, right? In that moment where we needed help, right? Where we needed instruction. Uh, we've all found ourselves in growing up at some point. We, we had to learn how to speak. Uh, someone had to teach us how to tie our shoes. We've all had to learn at some point how to not get a letter looted. You know, like we've all been in that moment. At some point, we needed a helper. We needed a teacher. We needed a guide to get us to where we are now. And the truth is, is that we still continue to need help, right? We, we still find ourselves at points needing to learn how to avoid sin and mistakes and, and faults in our lives. We, we find ourselves needing to learn how to understand and follow God's will, right? The, the Lord's desires for our life. Sometimes we don't grasp them. Sometimes we don't know how to walk in them. We still find ourselves at points in our lives needing to learn how to best love our, our family, and our friends, and our co-workers. In fact, if we're going to follow the command of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to learn how to love our enemies, the people that actively oppose us. I don't know about you, but, but I still have to learn how to do those things. I still have difficulty following those commands. So who will serve as our helper, as our teacher? And as our guide, this summer we're studying theology. 
because God wants us to love him with our minds, with all of our minds, as well as our hearts. Right? We're studying theology because learning about God allows us to know God intimately. And knowing God is, is the goal of life. And that's why we're here. It's to know the Lord, to make him known to the people around us. That's why last week we focused on the Son. Buck Anderson was here, gave you a million-dollar education on the Christology, right? He walked you through uh, the, Jesus Christ, who he is, what he does, uh, and kind of just understanding uh, that aspect, that person of the Trinity. And this morning what we're doing is we're moving to another person in the Trinity. Not God the Father, not God the Son, but in fact God the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at him in an attempt to better understand who he is and also what he does. What he does to enlighten the world, what he does to explain God's will and God's word to us, and what he does to equip us for God's service, for the work ahead. So we're going to spend a lot of our time in John chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, you want to go there on your phone. John chapter 14 is kind of where we're going to be anchored. We're going to be jumping around a lot uh, because the Holy Spirit is all over Scripture. Uh, But we are going to kind of come back to John 14 a few different times over the course of the morning. John 14, uh, particularly starting in verse 26, uh, Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples. And he tells them that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this is one of the most key passages that we have regarding who the Holy Spirit is. It talks a little bit about some of his action, about some of his purpose, and we're going to revisit this in a little bit. But but what we see here, first and foremost, is is Jesus Christ basically kind of shining a light on who the Spirit is. Now, the term that he's using is pneuma. All right? You maybe have heard that before. That's the term in the New Testament. It's the Greek term for spirit or, or breath or kind of essence. And, and that's what's being used right there. The Holy Spirit, that's the holy pneuma. And, and this term is neuter. And in other words, it has no gender assigned to it. And yet when we see Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit, when we see Paul talk about the Holy Spirit, when we see the other authors of the New Testament refer to the Holy Spirit, they always use a masculine pronoun. They say, he will teach you. In other words, they're alluding to this idea that the Holy Spirit is not an it, but the Holy Spirit is a he there's other evidence for that, but this is kind of one of our early ones. This is one of the things that we can look at, and this is, this is crucial. Right? The same way that if, if maybe you dropped your phone, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, oh, is, is he okay? Right? Maybe you kind of think that way deep down. You're like, no, he is a person. But you, you, you recognize, no, like, that's weird. Right? If I drop my phone, if I kick my car or something, I'd be like, oh, it's going to be all right. It's, it's just an object. And yet when we see the Holy Spirit referred to, it is a he or he, he is a he. He's not an it. And, and that's something that took me a long time to grasp. I was in college before that really sunk in, before I really understood the implications of that, that the Holy Spirit is in fact a person, right? And he behaves as a person would behave. That's why we see in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talking to the church in Ephesus about not grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Part of personhood means that the Holy Spirit feels. 
and has reactions and he can have emotional responses to things that we do, things that we choose to do and, and behave. This is a part of what makes people real to us. Honestly, I, I will always remember when I was about four years old, my mom had just painted my bathroom door and she pulled me aside and she said, Jacob, do not touch your bathroom door because I just painted it. And if you touch it, you're going to mess up the paint. Jacob, please do not touch this bathroom door. She walked away and immediately, what? Of course I touched the bathroom door, Right. No brainer. And so as soon as I touch her, she comes back. She sees what I did, and she starts to cry. I made my mom cry, which isn't that weird, right? There are many other instances of that. But this one really stuck out in my memory because this was the time that I made my mom cry and began to think that, oh, my mother is human, right? It started to really sink in. It's like she's... She's people like me. Like it was this huge moment for me where I understood that my mom was a person because she could feel, right? Because she had emotion. The Holy Spirit feels, has reactions, has emotions. More so than that, he also has his own desires. He has his own will. This is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 12, that all of these, and he's referring to gifts and and abilities that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. He says, all these things are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit chooses to distribute gifts and abilities by his own decision, by his own will. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not some mystical force moving through the universe. The Holy Spirit is a person with a will. This is an incredibly important part of personhood. My wife and I, we have a a young daughter. She's almost one and a half years old. Her name is Charlotte. She's wonderful. And uh, one of the things that I've loved getting to see in her over the past few months is I'm seeing her will develop. I'm beginning to see her uh, create d- desires and have passions. And she, has, she makes decisions about how she wants her life to play out. Yesterday, we, just yesterday, we went to Chick-fil-A for dinner. Uh, Mom was at work, and so I was like, hey, we're going to live it up. We're going to get some nuggets, some fries, and some sliding, right? And then in that order, that's how it's going to play out. Uh, and yet... I showed up to Chick-fil-A juggling the gear and equipment and also my child, I guess. And and as soon as we got inside, Charlotte starts yelling out, Osh, 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 Osh! Because that is her term for slide. I do not know why. That's just what she says, Osh. So she sees the slide. She sees the playground. She begins calling out to it, proclaiming her love. And I... Try to talk sense to her. I'm like, no, Charlotte, we're going to get food first. Like, we're going to eat. We're going to eat nuggets and fries. This is going to be really good. I get our food. We sit down. I try to position her where she can't see the osh. And yet, through the entirety, I'm trying to feed her. I'm trying to give her food. I'm like, come on, you can eat. She won't have any of it. Would not take a bite of anything because she wanted to osh, osh, osh. Because she has a will. Right? Because she has a desire. A strong will. A very strong will. Uh, eventually, we just, we went, we went and slid. I gave up. Uh, cause I'm a new dad and that's just what I do. I give in. So we, 
I see this, my wife and I, we see this and we love it because we see this personhood developing in our daughter. We see these personality traits, these unique aspects of who she is come out and play out in her words and in her actions. And the Holy Spirit moves in the same way. He has desires. He has a will. He feels he's a person. But more importantly, not only is he a person, but he is God. When we look at the creation account, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the start of everything. The earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And in that moment, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is beautiful. Something we often forget that the Holy Spirit did not come about at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did not just appear after Christ left earth. It did not suddenly come into existence at some point in creation. The Holy Spirit predates creation. The Holy Spirit has existed eternally with God because the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in the creation process. The Holy Spirit is God, this is what Jesus refers to in John 14. You look back at our anchor passage, John 14 and verse 16. He says, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. And now as Jesus is talking about this, he's using this term, uh, another helper. And in English, right, we only have kind of one word uh, in terms of another. Meaning I could be talking, when I say I want another a book. I could mean I want another book that's just like the one I just read. I could mean I want another book because I don't like that last one. You know, Dr. Seuss is a madman. I need to read something different with Charlotte or whatever it might be. And so right here, though, the, the Greeks, they don't rely on inflection to get that idea across. In fact, they have two completely separate terms. They'll say, sometimes they'll say, I want another. And the word that they use means something completely different. I want another meaning some, some different object or, or something with different qualities and characteristics. Or they'll use a different term that says, I want another meaning of the exact same quality, of the exact same characteristics. I want another of this same thing. And that's what Jesus Christ uses right here. He says, I've been helping you. I've been ministering to you. I've been guiding you, comforting you, teaching you. Literally right here when he's talking about helper, he says it's it's this loaded term that that means one who comes alongside of you. And so even as you're reading in your different translations, there's lots of different terms used because there's a lot of nuance there. It could be advocate, uh, helper, teacher, comforter, guide, tutor, because they're all kind of in that loaded term. Jesus Christ says, I've been doing that with you and for you. It says, and God will send, my Father will send another just like me. And the difference is he'll be with you forever. Because Jesus is preparing his disciples for the, for the event where he will leave, where he would ascend into heaven. It says, but this new helper, this same quality, same characteristic, same God will come and, and help you, will come alongside of you. It's the same idea we see in Matthew 28, 
where Jesus is, ra- is ascending into heaven. He's giving the final commission, the great commission, his kind of final charge and commandment to his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What we see right here is Jesus Christ using, again, kind of in the nuance of the Greek, he's speaking about this name that is in fact singular, meaning that this is one name that is shared by those three persons, that name being God, Lord Most High, shared by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, united and yet three distinct persons. How exactly does that play out? We will spend our lifetimes, we have spent lifetimes studying it, and you know, we're never going to fully grasp it this side of eternity. There is an element of mystery that was inherent to this idea. But Jesus Christ says, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit who will come, all of us are God. We share the same name. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is at work in our world. This morning, we're going to be, you know, kind of blitzing past a lot of these ideas. We're going to have a very brief overview of the work of the the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit. And so I'm going to have a couple different suggested reading things. If you you want to read into it more, if you want to do more study, if that's something you're interested in, uh, maybe just just for this summer, you want to learn about the Holy Spirit. The first book that I'd recommend to you is uh, called The Holy Spirit, right? Boom. Easy to remember. Holy Spirit by Charles Ryrie. Excellent book. Wonderful work on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And he goes into this idea of, of his personhood, of his deity. Uh, it's a wonderful work. If you have any interest, look it up. But the Holy Spirit is a person. He's God and he is at work. So, so what is he doing in our world? Where is he at? Well, what is his ministry on earth? Well, when we look in our scripture, we find that he's always been at work. Remember, even from creation in Genesis 1, we saw the Spirit at work, and he continued to work and minister in the Old Testament. But, but his ministry in the Old Testament w- was a little bit unique. It was different than what we see today. Uh, because in the Old Testament, what would happen often was the Holy Spirit would rush upon an individual uh, for sort of a temporary enlightenment or empowerment. And so he would just kind of come upon a person, and then he would leave, like Batman, but better, because he's God. Batman's not. Write that down. Uh, but we see uh, time and again that he's at work in our Old Testament. Nehemiah 9 refers to the fact that the Holy Spirit would guide and instruct God's people, that he would speak to the people at large. Uh, Zechariah 7 attributes all the sayings, all the prophecies, all the works of all the prophets to the Holy Spirit. It says that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Ruah in Hebrew of God, would, was speaking through all of those men, all of those people. The words that they wrote, the, 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 the warnings they gave, were in fact the words of God. The Holy Spirit inspired that work. One of my favorite times of seeing the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament is in Judges 14, where one of the judges, a guy named Samson, who is known for his incredible strength, and complete uh, foolishness. Uh, he was walking along a road, and he sees a lion approach. And so what we see in Judges 14 is that the Holy Spirit, the Ruah of God, rushes upon Samson, and it empowers him to rip the lion in half. Right? And the, it uses, the Bible describes it, I quote, 
as one, he rips in half as one tears a young goat. Right? Which is the best metaphor you'll ever hear, ever. Use that next time you peel a banana or something, because that is beautiful, so applicable. You know, like you tear a young goat. Yeah, Holy Spirit at work right there. It's awesome. The Holy Spirit in the, throughout our Old Testament, time and time again, would rush in, help someone, empower them for some task, enlighten them for some truth, and then would leave. And yet in the New Testament, we see something different. After the ministry of Christ, he promises a different type of ministry from the Spirit. What we see in the New Testament and beyond is that the Holy Spirit will come and reside within individuals, will dwell with us for continual assistance and guidance. This is what we saw in John 14. That Jesus would ask the Father and he will give another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's right here Christ promises, look, you're going to have an incredible gift given to you as my followers. Jesus is saying the world at large doesn't get this deal. The world at large does not receive this gift of the indwelling spirit. He says it's only for you, for you, the the people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of their sins. It is only to those people, it is only to our people that the spirit is given. The Spirit comes and dwells and dwells with us and is in us for forever. Right? He sets up residence with us, sets up shop, and he's our helper. He's the one who comes alongside. Remember the, the idea of someone walking alongside of you, that loaded, nuanced term, a term that is often used in our Scripture, in our New Testament, to describe uh, your spouse. Specifically between a man and a wife, the, the wife is described as this helper. When Adam sees wife or Eve as his helper, this is the same idea. Someone who comes alongside of you and ministers in so many different ways. It's a loaded term. Uh, many of us have gotten to see this and experience this. Uh, I've gotten to see, reap the benefits of having a helper in my wife, Susan. Susan, who has come alongside of me in so many ways in raising our daughter. She does an incredible job raising our child. She can probably go to Chick-fil-A. No problem. I don't know. She's probably got it. She's come alongside of me in ministering to college students. She's discipling students and leaders. She's, She's inviting people into our home. She's in that ministry alongside of me. She ministers to me individually, personally. She provides for me and supports me. I can't do any of this stuff without her by my side. She lets me know things like, hey, those pants are too frayed to wear on stage anymore. These are okay for the time being, but she'll catch them. She knows when I need to change my wardrobe, I guess. And that's good. I need that. I need that help alongside of me. Christ says you will have this in the Holy Spirit. He will come to you and he will stay with you and he will minister to you. How? Right? In what way? So as he's staying with us and and helping us and coming alongside of us and dwelling with us, what exactly is he doing? Now, again, this morning is not going to be an exhaustive list of the ministries of the Spirit. We could spend so much time on that. Instead, we're going to focus in on three specific ministries of the Spirit. 
Three specific ways that he helps us, that he comes alongside of us in our present age. The the three things that we'll see is is that he uh, comes alongside and enlightens us to God's truth. He enlightens the world towards sin and, and righteousness and judgment. He also explains God's will to us. He explains God's word to us. We'll also see that he equips us for the work that God has prepared beforehand for us. He enlightens the world. This is what we see Jesus describe in John 16. That the holy, that nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is, your, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus is turning to his disciples. They're kind of bummed out. They're like, Jesus, we don't want you to go. We want you to hang out with us and do all this cool stuff. Like the miracles, the truth. It's incredible. Lord, your, your ministry has been so amazing. And Jesus turns to them and he says, look, you're better off when I leave. Because I will send to you a helper that will be able to reside with every single one of you. Jesus willingly took the limited form of of a man, of a a person, of humanity. He says, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to convict the world. One of the things he will do is to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit, in part, is continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus Christ came uh, according to the will of the Father, So that people could look on Jesus and see the Father. He says, look at me and then you'll know the Father. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he's going to continue my will. He's going to continue my ministry, my mission, my purpose. To preach, to convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. That we are, in fact, sinners. That we're broken, that we're fallen, and that there will come a day when a judgment falls on those sins, on those mistakes. And when that judgment comes, any mistake we might have in our life is immediately cause for death. It is reason for eternal separation from God the Father, the one who made us. And yet, Jesus Christ was righteous. Jesus Christ lived a life without sin. And if we place our faith in him, if we trust in the fact that he lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserve, and rose again three days later to prove his power over sin and over death, if I trust in that, suddenly I can be accredited the same righteousness that he earned. Suddenly I'm given that helper who will come to me, who will minister to me, that helper who also convicts the world of these topics. Right? We see this conviction occur individually, right? Those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it came about because we were individually convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. That's why we believe what we believe, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But it also happens on a general level. It's something that we call general or, or common grace. This idea that the, that the Holy Spirit has sort of this overarching kind of ministry to the world at large. That he is in fact holding us back from the full ramifications of our sin. That in fact our world could be so much more broken, so much more terrible than it currently is. But yet God in his grace 
allows the Holy Spirit to kind of hold us back from that. That's why there are things uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he, he refers to this idea, this concept of the moral law. Right? He talks about how we have you know, the law of gravity, uh, we have the law of you know, motion, and all these different uh, ideas, these kind of principles for how our world works. And he argues that there is, in fact, a law or a moral law. Meaning that when you look across all societies, across all cultures and civilizations, he says there are certain overarching themes and there are certain overarching moralities that exist. He says you look at any culture, across any time, any place, uh, anywhere, he says though they, no culture has ever applauded cowardice. Says, no one ever honors that. No one ever looks highly upon uh, or, or praises the people who prey on the weak or the defenseless. So no one ever lifts up those people as heroes of their culture. Why? Because there is some sort of overarching morality that deep down we all recognize that wouldn't exist if it weren't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes to convict the world, and yet we so often take that job upon ourselves, right? So often we take it upon ourselves to maybe convict our friends, or our neighbors, or our coworkers, to convict others of the sin in their lives, of the behavior that needs to change. We take it upon ourselves to make sure that they recognize their faults and failures instead of relying on the Spirit to do so. Imagine if we relied on the Spirit. Imagine if we trusted God to bring conviction where it needs to be brought. Imagine if we trusted God to change hearts as only He can. Imagine if we asked the Lord to convict us. If we followed Jesus Christ's advice to, to be mindful of the log in our own eyes before we care about the speck in our neighbors. We should be praying, asking that the Holy Spirit would convict the people that need it, would bring them to repentance, would bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. We should also be praying that the Holy Spirit would convict us of what sin remains, of what old nature still kind of clings on. The Holy Spirit has come to convict, to, to enlighten us towards these things. He's also come to explain God's will. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Paul is explaining to the church in Corinth, he's saying, look, the Holy Spirit alone is able to explain the will, the thoughts of God. And he says, you see this in people. He says, how could you know a person's thoughts unless they tell it to you, right? You could be living with your spouse for years and years and years, and yet it's still, you, you can't read their minds. You can get better at reading them, kind of, right? You can kind of pick up on some hints, and when they, like, punch you in the head, that's probably a sign that they're upset or whatever it is. But you don't ever truly know a person's thoughts unless they share it with you. He says God is in the same way. He, in fact, this is following in 1 Corinthians 1. He talks about how God designed the world to, to function in such a way that we cannot, in our earthly capacities, with our earthly, worldly restrictions, we can't understand God. It says the world cannot know God through earthly wisdom. In, instead, we have to rely on God to reveal himself to us. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is huge. 
And this is, this is incredibly beneficial for us because otherwise we would have to walk through this life, walk through this world, just kind of not knowing what the Lord wants for our lives. Many cultures, many religions teach that God is this distant, unknowable figure that we can't really ever grasp or know the true will of. Our scripture is entirely different. Our scripture promises, guarantees that God wants us to know him, that God doesn't want to frustrate us. He says, fathers, don't frustrate your children. Why? Because your heavenly father is not going to frustrate you. He does, that's not his desire. He wants us to commune with him. He wants us to read his words, to pray with him, to talk with him. He wants to reveal his will to us. He doesn't want to be this sort of vague, strange Facebook status that we come across in normal everyday life. Things like, I'm done being agreeable. What does, I don't, I don't know what that means. People say things like, frowny face. That's so vague. What's wrong? Nothing. Well, Okay, that's not my wife, Susan, by the way, thankfully. Uh, that's uh, someone else, mysterious. Well, we come across these people, and we ourselves fall into this trap of where we're like, well, I kind of want people to know what's up, but not really. So I'll probably say something like, the last couple of days are wrong. Hope they turn around. If you have really good friends, they tell you to take a bubble bath. Excellent advice. I want that advice every time I'm feeling down, uh, to bubble bath it up. Uh, but... We are afraid that God works in this way and God says, I'm not. He says, I'm not going to work this way. I've sent my spirit so that you don't have to see me as this ambiguous, unknowable figure. So that God doesn't post things like, I don't want to talk about it. And then people call him out like, why did you post it? I love that. That is a true friend. Good job, Brett. But we... We worry that God functions in that way. And he says, I, I don't. He says, I've sent my spirit to, in, to explain my will to you, to explain my word to you. And yet so often we take it upon ourselves thinking, well, and I'm just going to have to make these decisions on my own. I'm going to make my pros and cons. I'm going to lay out the pie chart. And we're going to really land on where we're going to breakfast or where I'm going to go to college or whatever decision is in front of me. And we take this pressure on ourselves. We think, well, you know, I think that if I just line up the right Bible study methods, I can unpack Scripture. If I make so many observations and all these interpretations, if I apply it just right, all of a sudden, all of God's truth will be open to me. That is not how God works. That is not what God has told us. He says, you need to rely on my spirit to explain these things to you. And yet, how often do we forget to begin our decision-making process, asking the Lord to reveal to us his will, asking the Lord to minister to us, spending time in prayer, reading his word. And how often do we forget as we're reading his word to start that time asking the Lord to teach us something? To allow his spirit to explain the truths within his scripture. Man, how often do I forget as I'm unpacking scripture, trying to prepare it to deliver to whatever audience? So many times I fall into that trap of thinking, well, if I can just line out these points or have it all rhyme or alliterate or whatever it is and find the right video, and then I can make it all work. And I have to, for, I have to come back to the fact, I have to remember week in and week out that it is only the Holy Spirit that can reveal the true thoughts of the Lord. That's the only way that this works. I'm not going to change anybody's life, ever. It's the work of the Spirit. Sometimes he chooses to use me in that process, but man, it's never me. It's never going to be you. We are reliant upon the Spirit of God to convict the world, to explain God's truth. 
to reveal his will. If you want to read more about that, I mean, there's this excellent book called Decision Making in the Will of God. Dr. Gary Friesen, he's a former uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Wonderful book talking about how do we divine God's will? How do we walk according to God's will? Spoiler alert, Holy Spirit. Uh, but there's a lot of other really good stuff in there that's still worth reading. Decision-making in the will of God, if you have any interest in, in looking into that. If you've got some decisions coming up, I strongly recommend this book. The Spirit is convicting the world. He's enlightening us. He's explaining God's will and God's word. He is also choosing to equip us for God's work. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul is talking about how he's about to go into all these gifts and abilities, these gifts of the Spirit, uh, of how he will equip and empower believers to to do work. And what Paul says at the very beginning, he says, look, before we even get into this, I need you to remember that it's all from the same source. It's all from the Holy Spirit. It's all for the same purpose, to glorify God. And it's all meant to be used in the exact same way for the common good. We've got to remember that. They're all unified in that. And if you're taking any of those abilities, if you're using any of those gifts in any other way, it's not right. It's not right. You have to be using these gifts and these abilities for the Lord, from the Lord, for the common good. The Spirit wants to be at work within us, developing these things, you know, giving us these gifts to deploy for the common good. He also gives us fruit to display to the world at large. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are fruit of the Spirit that He wants to produce in our lives, not just for our own personal benefit, but because as He works in us and, and, and within us, He is also able to work through us for the benefit of other people. This past week, I was up in Dallas for a couple different seminary classes. And when every time I go up there, I stay with a few friends, some old college buddies of mine, and one of them, uh, in particular, uh, came from a rough background. Uh, he kind of had a very dysfunctional home life. Uh, we just kind of bounced around a lot, raised by kind of a number of different people. Uh, but he had kind of this one stable influence all growing up. It was his grandfather. It was his mom's dad. And he was this incredible influence. He was this Christian man, this wonderful man who, who poured into him, invested in him. He was kind of always the stable relationship that my friend had kind of all growing up, especially in those developmental years, but even to this day. And yet this past Tuesday evening, uh, my friend's grandfather died suddenly and unexpectedly. And so my friend got the call late Tuesday and he was actually staying somewhere else. He was house-sitting. And so he called us back at his apartment. We packed up and we went and we stayed at the house with him where he was. It was late. I mean, we got there like one or two in the morning. As soon as we walk in, we see our friend. I mean, he's just, he's just broken. He was in shock. He was waiting on, on a ride from his aunt to come in. He didn't want to drive by himself, but he was going to ride with his aunt down to Brian to just kind of give his final farewell. Uh, the ceremony is tomorrow. But in that moment, as he's just weeping, distraught, one of the things that he said over and over was that he didn't know what to pray. He just didn't know. Man, many of us have been there. We've been in that moment 
that tragedy, that trauma, that unexpected circumstance, that unexpected turn of events, and we find ourselves in that moment not even sure of what we're supposed to pray, what we're supposed to think, what we're supposed to say. So we sat, we talked for a little bit, we sat and we're just quiet for a lot longer. But eventually we prayed together. And as we were praying, kind of uh, our friend and, and myself, uh, the two of us that kind of came and, and met with him, we, we were sort of praying about uh, the details that were coming up, right? praying that, that the Lord would provide safety right? as they were traveling, would, would, would kind of give discernment as they were making a lot of decisions because uh, this family is very broken. There's a lot of drama. It's, it's not going to be a fun reunion. And so we were asking the Lord to kind of give peace over that situation. And as we were sort of the two of us praying for all these different details, eventually uh, our friend who lost his grandfather began to pray. And the very first thing that he said was he just thanked God for who he is. He thanked God for being good. He thanked God for the impact that his grandfather had had on his life. He thanked God that there was a purpose behind this. He thanked God that there was going to be an opportunity for himself to minister to his family as they all came together around this tragedy. He thanked God that his grandfather was with his wife in eternity. I'll tell you, that was the work of the Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit was working in my friend's life, it wasn't just for his benefit and his edification and his peace and comfort. You know what? Because when the Spirit was working through him, it resonated out and spilled over and it ministered to me. And I know without a doubt that he's already had opportunities to minister to his family, to very broken people. The Holy Spirit, through my friend, is ministering, is at work, is equipping him to impact the lives of others for the sake of God, for the sake of his glory. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, his people, permanently. And he's come alongside of us in order to enlighten our hearts, to enlighten our minds, to explain God's will, to explain God's word in scripture that he's given us. He's come to equip us for service, for work. So let's rely on his help. Let's rely on him to give us the words to say, the actions to do. Let's ask him for his help right now. God, we thank you that you've sent your spirit to be our guide, our teacher, and our comforter. Lord, we thank you for all the ministries that we didn't even talk about. Lord, for the ways that you're at work, the ways that that you have uh, just continually poured out your grace upon us. Lord, we ask that we would just remember to look to you. God, as we sang and proclaimed earlier, that God, we would look to you as our strength. We look to you as our rock. God, we ask that you would send your spirit to guide our steps and to reveal your truth. That this weekend maybe would would be a wonderful time of of rest, of rejuvenation. But the Lord, it would also be a time that's effective in that it prepares us for future ministry. God, we ask that your spirit would already be stirring the hearts of others that we might come into contact with. 
that they would be open to hearing the gospel, that they would be open to hearing your truth. God, we ask that through the power of your spirit, you would use us to impact their lives. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray all these things in your will. Amen. All right, well, we love you guys, uh, and we'll see you in a week.